Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at JapanBoyRiverCruise.com and due to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This week's show is brought to you by Cowboy Bebop. Netflix's live-action Cowboy Bebop Season 1 is out and the reviews are in. Critics are calling it a rare success, a breath of fresh air, slick and spirited, colorless and soulless, a cosmic disaster, everything wrong with nostalgia reboots, and, as the New York Times puts it, it's okay. It's not an embarrassment. But who cares what the critics are saying? We're Netflix, and it was content, so we made it. And it's there, so you'll watch it. Substance-wise, it's no Squid Game, which is also on Netflix. And for the art direction, it'll make you miss the original anime, which is also on Netflix. Kabibibi, from Netflix. We'll see you at the bank. Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. Aya. I'm Oli Horn. And joining us this week is Thalia Harris, writer for Unseen Japan, whose most recent piece on the lesser-known zoku, or tribes of Japan, includes an in-depth look into the Kawakudari zoku. It's a must-read for any river cruise aficionado. Thalia, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. On this week's show, the corona pandemic has forced a lot of acceleration in Japan, in areas like the adoption of cashless payments, remote work, and more. But it's also accelerated some negative things as well. For instance, entire generations of foreigners who shouldn't have been fully disillusioned with Japan until their mid-40s are getting there in record time. We'll talk to Thalia about the ways in which Japan has made it clear that foreigners are second-class citizens, and how this affects Japan's present and future. Plus, Ali's got your weekly river cruise recommendation. Ali? <laughs> that was one of our bleakest intros ever, Bobby. Uh, <laughs> we, even, even, even the otherwise good jokes didn't didn't really make me want to listen to this show nor indeed record it so let's go uh, anyway this week's recommendation was going to be osaka's cutting edge nft river cruise nft of course short for non-fungible titanic unfortunately we received some bad news just before recording that on its maiden voyage the cruise ship was in fact funged and you accuse me of bleakness uh, and in other industry news, the JRCA has published an open letter to Zozotown founder Maezawa Yusaku, whose real Twitter handle is at Yusuk2020, as he continues to undergo the more than 100 tests he needs to pass to qualify for space travel. The organization hopes to convince him of the appeal of river travel as well by highlighting the scenery, the camaraderie, and the fact that in order to board a riverboat, you only need to pass one test, the test of whether or not you have 600 yen. All that coming up, but first, Soap Talk. Uh, unfortunately, Brian couldn't be here this week. He is using his paid vacation time to interview for positions on other podcasts. We support that. Failure. Yes. You are a writer. Uh, you said yes, not only to acknowledge your presence, but also to give me reassurance that I've not pronounced your name wrong. Right. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, and and what's great is that came through in the audio. Uh, although you write for Unseen Japan, we can see you, uh, which is good. Our listeners can't, so that's kind of irrelevant. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had uh, we've had people associated with Unseen Japan before. We've briefly uh, discussed some controversy, which we're not going to bring up uh, on this show. So let's focus on the positives. What do you get? 
out of writing for Unseen Japan? The biggest thing I get is creativity and freedom to just pretty much pitch. Most of the, everything I've written on there um, was usually based on a pitch I did. Like the very first piece I wrote for them was for a super, about a super obscure movie that I saw in college one time. You know, mm, right. And um, and the fact that uh, at the time, I believe this is back when Jay was the main editor. Right. So yeah. the fact that he was so receptive to that, he's like, yeah. sure, do it. And I feel like super obscure place, movie. Yeah. As long yes, anything should, anything that's unseen, anything that's unseen and matches with everything. Indeed. <laughs> it, it unseen, except if you were in gender studies at a college in, oh, no, not oh, eight, 2010. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask that question. Has anyone seen this movie? No. <laughs> sold <laughs> exactly i'm like that was my that was my topic i'm like no one knows about this movie i should right. write about it <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was right. the process and in reading your articles uh, it's clear that you you don't just use them to explore japan but also explore your own kind of personal views and the way that you fit into the country and i think unseen japan has has adopted that position of part kind of journalism and exposition pieces but also a bit of activism uh, and kind of taking a stance on certain issues. Have you had any articles where you've had any pushback, or where you thought, "Oh, maybe I've, maybe I've, I've pushed this a bit too far"? Or I would say I, I would, I did have, we did have an experience like that, meaning myself and a few other people, because it was all about the same topic. I wouldn't say I felt I went too far, but we definitely. What was it? It was the piece where I talked about um, how Japanese people were not happy about the Olympics happening during the pandemic, and this was mm. before the rollout was complete. Um, right. The thing is, I don't feel like I said anything controversial, especially considering that um, uh, I literally just translated and said what Japanese people said. Right. And a right, very right. common, um, you know, uh, point of contention that some people have with our publication is that, oh, they're speaking for Japanese people. They're Westerners putting you know, words in her mouth, leave the innocent Japanese people alone. How you know? dare you? How dare you go to the effort of translating what Japanese people right. say like how, English? Like, how, how, how dare you, you tell you us are? what Japanese people are saying and not what we think they should be saying because we think they're innocent <laughs> little children? How dare you? Uh, and so to put to sum it up, they, I basically said, hey, they, these Japanese people and many others don't want this to happen. They had a trending topic about it. They're like, why the hell is everyone coming over here? This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And someone who claimed to be an immunologist I say claim because I feel like, I'm sorry. I say claim because I feel like if you're an immunologist, then why are you against the idea of people being vaccinated before a major sports event? It, yeah. and the, can, I, can I also just ask, was this immunologist someone on Twitter without a proper handle who like was shouting at you? Yes. I don't think they're an immunologist then. I think if you're an immunologist <laughs> in the middle of a global pandemic, you've got bigger fish to fry. Right. That's the thing. It's, and, and people are like, an immunologist based in Japan and he had experience and he gave me all these percentages. Like, I think I said, because at the time, I think um, I think the vaccination rate was, I think, a 10%. He's like, actually, it's 11 as of this week. So you're rounded yeah. down to 10. It's still he 10. Sounds, yeah. He sounds like one of those assistant immunologists where there's an actual Japanese immunologist doing most of the work and they're just, and he's just there for show. Oh, absolutely. No, the, it would not be the first time they put a random white man for show in Japan, let me tell you. It would not be the first time. There's a whole industry based around, like, you know, uh, uh, white dudes who officiate weddings. But that's not the point. The point is, is that he... <laughs> look, at, look at Bobby's face right now. Look at I've, Bobby's face right now. I have never accepted one of those jobs i've been offered them 
Numerous oh, times. Oh, okay, never that's why you Never taken one. You had a flashback, <laughs> I see. Yeah. But to, be, to, be clear, to be clear, Bobby has taken uh, jobs with considerably less credibility, <laughs> and he's considerably <laughs> less qualified I, for. I'm proud to say I've never been a fake priest. If you ask me a question about uh, whether or not I've been a Santa Claus, I will turn off my microphone. <laughs> Santa Claus is more I would say Santa Claus is an honorable position but at uh, any rate I think this this was indicative of not only his you know him just hating you know us because we said something but also it's just that classic Twitter argument where like if you don't think of every possible counter argument then automatically you're wrong so yeah, my, yeah, yeah. my main idea was Japan should be vaccinated before they have the Olympics because it's a major world event mm -hmm. and you got people coming from all over different strains to which he interpreted it as so what you're saying is that rich countries should have vaccines before poor countries and we're just like yeah where where did you get that that's and that so, that's that whole you know if you say on Twitter you love pancakes someone will go why do you hate waffles exactly perfect <laughs> yeah. exactly so yeah. I, I'm gluten intolerant this is not <laughs> nice exactly I'm I'm anti poor country apparently anyway so so so, so to sum it up we talked about it in the, in the, in the slack of we're like we're all going to block them but that's really yeah. the most pushback i've ever gotten maybe yeah. so okay. not just you as a writer for unseen japan but i think a lot of the other writers as well their pieces run the gamut from like introducing aspects of japanese art or fashion or subculture to kind of more politically themed pieces how do you strike a balance between, you know, celebrating the aspects of Japan that you love and also criticism of Japan where criticism is due? I just work in the sense of good faith. You know, I work in the sense of at the end of the day, I'm this is an information. You know what I mean? This is based on information, based on exposing people to ideas and, you know, or just facts that they never considered before. Like there was that one piece I wrote about the the only Japanese survivor of the of the Titanic, you know. What was his name? Hosono Masabumi. And it was important to note that because in that case, he was treated unfairly because he was Japanese around a bunch of rich white folk. But then on the other hand, you have the tension, but you have that, uh, you know, the tension about K-pop and J-pop and why there's that tension. Well, Japan colonized Korea for a very long time. So it's mm -hmm. really just about what 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 the article calls for in that moment and what and what's the main idea I'm trying to get through and to understand that um I criticize America too, and I. But I love being from America. Mm. I criticize Japan sometimes because I've invested a lot of time here, and I know that it's good to have a balance of things to live a full life. You can't just be praising everything, but you absolutely can't be downing everything as well. Yeah. Um. Because it's just going to be a very unlayered and, quite frankly, boring experience, in my opinion. How many other Japanese people were there on the Titanic? Uh, but uh, uh, we we should just do a whole episode <laughs> of the Titanic, yeah. shouldn't we? It's technically not a river cruise, so we're, we're cool. I believe he was, if not one of the few, he was the only. Hence why he's known as the only yeah, Japanese yeah. survivor. Well, if he was the only one and also the only survivor, I mean, that's a mm -hmm. great Japanese survival rate for the Titanic. <laughs> oh, listen, <laughs> that's yes. That's I a mean, 100% survival he, rate. <laughs> he was disgraced for years afterwards, and it wasn't until many years later he, he cleared his name. Then his grandson formed <laughs> one-third of Yellow Magic Orchestra. It got better. Cleared his name yeah. of what? Did they think that he did it? Yeah, well, to sum it up, like, he survived, right? But then, how do I say this? So at the time, this was like the Taisho period, right? And the Taisho period was um all about embracing Western ideas. Yeah. And so let, let Westerners tell it. They're saying, oh, 
they're mad that he didn't go down with the ship because the Japanese are samurai, which is what at that point, the samurai was no longer a thing. The reason why Japanese were upset was because they're basically like, you were cowardly and you embarrassed us in front of Western people. (laughs) And like, (laughs) and, and he got back and he was just so happy to be home and, you know, be with his wife and children. And then he got fired from his job, but then they rehired him because no one else could do his job, but he was just working a contract thing and no longer full-time and then he died in disgrace and it wasn't until i think like the 80s that his son put out an article saying my father was not a coward and then when the titanic movie came out in 97 i think another piece was put out to prove that hosono was not a coward or sorry masabumi as his name was not a coward but i think at this point it's been so far it's been so long ago that most people don't really care that much so I'm surprised they cared at the time. Me too. Like, chill out, chill out, Japan. Leonardo DiCaprio wasn't going to fuck him anyway. <laughs> like, I know, right? Not even his ancestor. It was crazy. It was wild. Um, talking to people that are never going to fuck us. Bobby, did we get any coffees this week? What a weird way to lead into that. <laughs> I've got to get there somehow. We've overrun soap talk. Yeah. Uh, uh, Selena Hoy bought us a coffee. Uh, she wrote, thanks for today's show, referencing the show we did with Motoko Rich. People love Motoko Rich. The show with yeah. her has gotten a huge positive reaction. Oh, much, much better than that time that we did a show with Motoko Lower Middle Class. Uh, very good. Uh, we've uh, The jokes just keep coming on this show. We're doing so well. Uh, we ought to get her back. She was very good. And did we, we, got, we got another coffee. We bought, somebody bought us five coffees and they, they listed their name as nobody. So nobody bought us five coffees. That's right. Who's buying us coffees? Nobody. Um, very good. Which makes it easier to ask for more. Yeah. Can nobody buy us any coffees this week, please? Yeah. Uh, for those that are not au fait with how we work, the only way this show is supported is uh, when our listeners buy us coffees um, for money. And uh, we prefer it when you pay for the monthly subscription, meaning that you get access to extras. Unfortunately, no access to extras with our guest this week. We have special extras with Justin yeah. and Bobby. You, can, you um, can listen to the extras to find out what au fait means. It's the second time Ollie's used it in conversation tonight. I think he must have learned it this week. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised it's it's my kuchi. Is it kuchikusei? Kuchikusei, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a Japanese word that's now going to become your kuchikusei. Your verbal habit. what the word kuchikusei was in, uh, in Japanese. <laughs> Jesus, we're overrunning so badly. Uh, don't laugh at us. We're normally very good at this. No, I'm not <laughs> laughing at that. That's the first time I've ever heard a, a British person, I assume you British, use the word ofe. I'm just like, oh, oh man. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. Allons-y, Bobby. Oh, nouvelle. Bobby Judo, qu'est-ce qui se passe in the news this week? The corona pandemic has uh, ruined the long-term plans of many Japanophiles worldwide, but it's also created a huge amount of disillusionment for non-Japanese residents of Japan who've seen the way the government treats them as second-class citizens. Felia, you wrote a great piece on this in Unseen Japan. Was there a moment for you during the pandemic that was just the breaking point, the uh, the wada that broke the Rakuda's back, if you will? <laughs> oh, man, there was. I would say there were two. Uh, one would definitely have to be when my uncle passed away at, at the top of the year, which was mm-hmm. actually before the pandemic hit. And um, and uh, the, the, I would say this. It wasn't so much the fact that it happened and then the fact that I couldn't go home for the for the memorial. Right. That that sucked. I had to watch through Facebook Live. Um, mm. It was the fact that the overall months long grieving process, I could not go through that with my family. Right. Um, 
that was the worst part. The fact that I had to watch my parents pretty much, you know, mourn and I couldn't be there for them. And then I had to mourn by myself. That was rough. Mm. Um, another major point for me would, there were quite a few, um, uh, how do I say this? Like they were just, um, I'm not getting sad. I'm actually trying to recollect because it was a wild year. But um, I think it would have to be the protests that happened back in the back in summer 2020 mm. with all with a uh, you know George Floyd's you know uh, murder and all that. And it just kind of felt like, damn, I'm here in Japan and I'm stuck here, but then I'm back home and everything's on fire. Damn it! So it just kind of felt yeah. like a, it felt like a very weird space of where do I go? What do I do? Sure. You know? Well, we, we, we look. We weren't expecting to bring this up, but since you have. It's interesting that you mentioned the George Floyd movement in America because there was loads of big, loads of big political movements in America that that I'm sure people during the pandemic felt very distant from. Mm -hmm. But the BLL, BLM protests were one of the very few that had a bit of cut through in Japan. Right, where there were regional protests, and that must have been that must have been really interesting for you that you could connect with what was going on in America, not in a in, in a literal sense, but in a a kind of a vicarious sense here in Japan. Right, exactly. It kind of, I will say, um, it gave me a sense of optimism where it's like, okay, at least there is a vocal minority that understands mm -hmm. what's going on. Because I think, you know, things get, things get very mixed up in the news and all that stuff. You just see a bunch of, you know, people looting and lighting stuff on fire. And then the average Japanese person may look at that and say, oh, America's scary. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, it's not scary. It's just that something terrible happened and justice was not brought up and people are angry about it. Yeah. And so once you, what I find in Japan when it comes to understanding, uh, you know, world events, especially when it comes to blackness and whiteness in Japan, the first thing a lot of Japanese people are surprised to learn is that there aren't that many black people in America. A lot of them think it's a 50-50 situation when it's more of like, I think of like a, like a 60-10 situation. And so they just kind of think, oh, everything's equal. It's like, no, it's still a marginalized situation. And that's why mm -hmm. it hurts even more. One of us is murdered in such a terrible way. Yeah. And, and, and of course, if you haven't investigated it, you, you have no, literally no idea of the, of the expanse of inequality, do you? It's like, or, or even of the black people that live in America, a very large proportion of behind bars so a Japanese person wouldn't get to interact with them anyway because exactly. of inequalities in the, in the mm. justice system. It's like on, on every level, we can only ever see we can only ever see these problems through a, you know, through the media, through a prism. Mm. Um, and it was I, it was just interesting for me that this was one of the first times where that prism was kind of being held and pointed by black people living in Japan. Mm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, so you've got this personal and political and social backdrop that is giving you reasons to want to be able to go back to America, even though you're based mm -hmm. in Japan. You've got mm -hmm. kind of this pull in both directions, but you've also got this pandemic driven system that's not allowing you to move freely. Um, right. And, and you mentioned in your article that idea of, you know, Japanese people always liking to ask, so when are you going back home? And how, even though it's not meant as an offensive question, it still can like cut yeah i think this has happened to all of us hasn't it do you remember the first time you were asked when are you going home oh yeah like back in 2013 when i first came here i think i was like 22 and that's like the first question i asked i was an alt and they're like yeah. oh how long you get like oh you're from uh you're new york da, 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 da. and it's like oh when are you going home i'm like yeah maybe a yet. year i don't know i'm thinking like yeah. why are you asking me that well <laughs> like, it gets it gets worse around the holidays and i think this year especially when people ask like are you going home for the holidays it's like uh, that scene in, in the Christian Bale Batman where the Joker's holding all the hospitals uh, hostage and Bruce Wayne crashes his car and it's like, you think I should go to the hospital? And they're like, 
you don't watch the news, do you? That's that's always exactly. what I want to say when a Japanese person goes, "Are you going home?" It's like, "Are you not and paying they ask attention?" Us, I'm like, "Are you going to see your parents?" I'm like, "I want to see my parents today." So badly, so <laughs> I badly. I haven't seen them in two years, so I would love to go, mm. but I cannot, and they don't understand. And it's very weird on both sides. I got my parents saying, can you come home? It's like, it's not a matter of whether I can come home. It's a matter of where I can get back here with no issue. But, but it is possible if you've got loads of money. Exactly. Is that about right? Mm, yeah. Pretty much. If you if you're able to get the PCR tests in the right amount of time, if you're mm. able to afford to lose 10 working days, 10 days of work, if you mm. are able to deal with the fact that if you're on a two-week vacation, you might be quarantined for a good chunk of it or most of it then absolutely you can go back and forth as you please and and that's why there were some people there was one person i found very well-meaning had a whole you know uh, game plan she put on trello like here's what you can do da, 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 da. and that's like a thousand bucks to just leave and go back let alone yeah. the ticket so it's like yeah, no yeah. i'll just wait till i can just go come and go as i please yeah well so you wrote about uh some of the restrictions that prevented foreigners from coming in and made it financially impossible for foreigners to go out and come back, but they are trying to ease those restrictions. Uh, there were some new rules that kicked in this month that said that people staying longer, people staying up to three three months or longer for business or for work, uh, will only have to quarantine for three days in principle. And they're continuing to limit the number of international arrivals to, I think, 3,500 a day. And that includes Japanese citizens arriving from abroad. So that's 3,500 a day. But the immigration authorities say that during this whole pandemic period, 370,000 people who had permission to stay in Japan, who had already been granted either you know, through residency or uh, already had their visas, 370,000 people were unable to enter during the period of stricter restrictions. That's that. That's the thing. It's a very weird situation where they're saying you can do it, but these are all of the things you have to remember and keep in mind. And yeah. I feel like that's kind of a roundabout way of restricting people of doing it. You know what mm. I mean? Um, the way I look at it is, and this is what I tell my parents, unless I can just show proof of vaccination, leave, come back, take a quick test, come back, then it's not really worth me leaving at this time. Even for yeah, vacation. Well, that, that was my experience of going to Spain uh, the other week. Uh, I had to show that I had had two jabs of a COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, that part's relevant. And uh, in Spain, I had to say where I was going to be staying and like had a little QR code where I uploaded that, that, that proof of double jabbing. And I had to certify that I didn't have COVID symptoms, but I didn't have to take a test. Mm -hmm. And then on the way back into the UK, I had to take a lateral flow test, which is the mood ring of uh, COVID tests, means nothing, uh, and pay £20 <laughs> for the privilege. Mm -hmm. So there are ways There are ways to, to do this, and Japan hasn't really found a way that works yet. Their own vaccine passport still doesn't exempt you from quarantine on the way back in. I don't even know how to get a vaccine passport, honestly, and I've been vaccinated since July. Yeah. Do you think that, that the way that Japan has handled the pandemic and the way that they've treated foreigners during it will affect the long-term desire for new foreigners to want to come to Japan? Um, I feel like yes and no, um, because there have already been reports of people who were trying to study in Japan, um, change their plans to go to Korea or China instead because the restrictions are no longer as large. Um, and But I think it... How do I say this? In my opinion, I feel like this was Japan's moment, especially considering it was an Olympic year, to shine. This mm. was their moment to kind of show we are diligent, we are organized, we are we have a through line. And they didn't really do that, especially with mm. the advent of the Olympics. And so they kind of got 
I feel like in the beginning, they kind of got away with it because, you know, they were wearing masks at first and, you know, there weren't that many entries yet, but then the diamond princess thing happened, then it just kind of tumbled from there. And I feel like for the first time, the, the world has gotten a glimpse of, oh, the bureaucracy doesn't work as efficiently as it should. Um, but so what you're saying is it's not really a question of attitude so much as competency. Exactly. Let down. Exactly. It's, it's competency mixed with a bit of attitude and a splash of xenophobia. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty, <laughs> they're pretty adept, but there's a little bit of spiciness to that. It's just, it's just a, mm, eh, you know what I mean? It's a little, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little spicy, which, you know, not what I would want in this situation, but yeah, but you're always sure. going to have those hardcore Japanophiles who just don't care and who don't care now. And won't care when they finally decide to get here. So, so I, I have a question for the both of you, which is, as two non-Japanese people who have stayed in Japan during the pandemic, where lots of people have left and no new uh, blood has come in, have you noticed like a change in the opportunities or the nightlife or like is it is it different? Like, are are private English lesson prices going up because there's not as many new students that are <laughs> charging a thousand yen? I'm just gonna jump in with a callback right now and go. You don't watch the news, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Nightlife. <laughs> Nightlife. When? <laughs> English lesson prices going up? Up, Ollie. Okay. The most the most thing I can say I had as far as nightlife would have to be when me and my friends went to the <laughs> Tokyo Whiskey Library in Amotisando, but that was like a month ago, and that was me and two friends. Okay. Yeah. You know. So yeah, no, right, I, well, I was yeah. I was potentially I thought there'd be some positives yeah. that there aren't as many uh, foreigners spoiling the view, but clearly not. Yeah. I wouldn't know. That's well, the thing. I, it's not a matter of like whether there are. I just wouldn't know. And then you have Japanese people who don't even know the borders are closed. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to this idea of whether or not it'll affect uh, people wanting to come to Japan long term, I I have the general sense that like the average person overseas who wants to come to Japan might not be like they might not be an unseen Japan reader like their only relationship to Japan might be through one of Japan's cultural exports of course, you know, like right. anime or so so they have this image in their head of the Japan that they want to go to but don't actually get a sense of what it's like to live here until they get here so I my suspicion would be that you know in another what what's what's the generation cycle for a new crop of of foreigners in Japan? Five years less? I would say five. You know, if if or I'll say three to five years, right? Because usually when you have these a lot of these ALT jobs or just general jobs, usually you can renew a contract up to three or five years if they don't leave yeah. ahead of time. So those people who are going to be applying in three years or five years, are they even going to be aware of the fact that the people who were accepted this this generation mm. ended up getting shafted? The only way they would keep up with it, the only way they would know is if they keep up with the news. But if they're only getting like their idea of Japan through anime and I mean, that's the sad part about Cool Japan. All they export is anime, but they don't pay their animators. But like if that's the only thing that they get it through, they're probably not going to they're probably not aware of that at all. You know? And don't forget, we've all met people who they never actually had a plan to come to Japan. Exactly. Like, like the category of people who are just like, yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was approaching 30 and I wanted a career change. And I thought, yeah, fuck it. I'll go, you know, teach abroad. And there was, you know, a, 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 an English school that was advertising. Like, I think we might be underestimating the number of people who simply don't care about Japan at all. Right. But go because it seems vaguely interesting. Yeah. These people don't even read the new, like the general news about Japan now. Exactly. Let alone yeah. take a quick, you know, little Berlitz book with them so they can order for themselves so, when they're right. in Japan, you know. Mm. They're definitely not listening to this podcast. Although if there are any listeners that have changed their mind about 
moving to Japan or change their plans as a result of policy and ineptitude, let us know. Yeah, we would, we would love to talk to, to people who've had that kind of experience. JapanByRiverCruise.com and click on the Fax Us button. Especially if they've ended up in Korea or China. That's one of the funniest things to me is that yeah, I, I've encountered this in a bunch of different ways. We encountered it when we did stand-up in Korea. Yeah. Um, I encountered it when I, I was doing those pilot recruitment interview videos. And I had to interview these pilots in Korea about what their life was like and why they chose it. And one guy just straight up, she just straight up said, I always wanted to go to Japan. But it was too hard, so Korea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, we, we, we had this with, with the other stand-ups as well, right? They were like, oh, man. Like, they really treated us like we'd won the Asia lottery. Like, the, 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 the roulette ball had yeah. landed. Well, they treated us like we were stuck up. They were like, oh, you, you, you're the good foreigners in Asia. <laughs> you're the ones who got into Japan. Well, there is a there's a huge dynamic. I mean, you think about the fact that Japanese involves three different writing systems. You think about how Japan yeah. is an island separate from Asia. You think about, um, you know, or rather, at least in Western media, Japan has kind of been for years, even before the what they call the Hallyu wave, like the Korean wave. Right. Like it's yeah, been yeah. exalted. I think even since the post-war, now that I think about it, especially in the 80s when everyone had money yeah, as like yeah. this beacon of tradition and modernity and discipline and glamour and money and money and money and money korea and not money, so much yeah. because korea in the 80s from what yeah. i understand was a very different time than what the 80s was like in japan so yeah well mm -hmm. when we were in korea we didn't we didn't even have that sense and all the korean comics were like oh you guys have to know you know that japan is the better one and, and korea is considered lesser and we were all like how would we know that we got into japan Korea <laughs> right. wasn't even our safety country. <laughs> exactly. And also, you were just surprised that people acknowledged that you thought you were better than them, but this time for a different reason. <laughs> hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode 108 of Japan by River Cruise. If you are a listener, but not a Twitter follower, then please do follow our Twitter account at JBRCPod on Twitter. You can also find this week's guest, Thalia, on Twitter at ThaliaTheWriter. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, Thalia, we'll be looking forward to your next work for Unseen Japan. Uh, thanks for having me, and uh, please be sure to check out my new uh, articles coming out. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week.